Progressive protects more than just your home and car. You could save when you bundle your motorcycles, ATVs, boats, and RVs. Doesn't that sound good? Like the sound of your boat cruising along the intercoastal. And there's the sound of the prop hitting a really big rock. And now the sound of waves. Because the engine stopped. But you know what does sound good? You're covered with Progressive. So bundle all your vehicles and home in one place and save with the multi-policy discount. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Okay, we are back with number six of our Christmas time, December, winter time, unsolved cases. So today we are going into a missing persons case that somewhat seems solved, but there was no body ever found, and there are some interesting conspiracies around it, and I found it really interesting, so I wanted to go over it. I don't think it's well known here in the States, because I had never heard of it, but it is an Australian case. So it is probably pretty well known there. If you haven't already, follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved. I post daily on there and I share a lot and yeah, that's pretty much it. So follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved and let's jump into the case of the disappearance of Australia's Prime Minister Harold Holt in 1967. So Harold Holt became the Prime Minister of Australia in 1966. He was the Prime Minister after Sir Robert Menzies was. And just like Sir Robert Menzies, Holt refused a secret detail assignment like we have the Secret Service for the President because he found it unnecessary and he believed it would alienate himself from the people in the country he was essentially running. Harold had been a career politician. He started in Parliament at the young age of 27 and became a government minister at the age of 30. So I don't really know what a government minister is because we don't have that here in the States, but I'm assuming Becoming one of those at the age of 30 is pretty good because the articles I read emphasize that, so I'm assuming it's a big step. Anyways, in the middle of 1966, I believe right after he came into the Prime Minister office, his view on a secret detail being assigned changed. A window in his office was shattered by a sniper and there was also the assassination attempt on Arthur Caldwell, who was the leader of the opposition. So this kind of made him think like, oh, maybe I could be in danger a little bit. It might be worth it to get a little security. Maybe not security that would alienate him, but enough to keep him from being shot by a sniper while in his office. So because of this, he got a single bodyguard and only for when he's doing his official duties. It's said that when he was on a holiday or at home, he refused this bodyguard because of his privacy, which I kind of see. Why would you want, like, bodyguards in or around your home all the time? That'd be very weird. I think you would just want to live as if you were a normal person. And then when you go into the office or go into work, 
like, yeah, bodyguard can be there because there you're not just doing your normal person stuff. Later, like, after this case was done, his wife would state that she thought he didn't want a Secret Service assignment or a bodyguard at home was because he was covering up his affairs if there was a bodyguard with him at home or he had like a lot of secret service he probably wouldn't have been able to have as much privacy and he wouldn't have been able to hide an affair because he would have been going to like somebody else's house or a hotel all the time and that would have looked pretty suspicious anyways he was a very big outdoorsman and he even had two beach houses one in victoria and one in queensland there were the specific, like, city names or whatever, but I knew I couldn't pronounce them, so I just decided to get rid of those. He was introduced to spearfishing in 1954, and he soon began to love it. Like, it became his favorite thing to do, and it was always something he did when he was at one of the beach houses or on a holiday or something of that manner. He preferred either skin diving or snorkeling because he hated air tanks. He thought they were like big and just they didn't help and they kind of hindered him more than helped him. And if you don't know what skin diving is, I don't know either. But I, from context, I kind of believe skin diving is when you just dive without like a snorkel or air tank. You're just diving down for a short period of time and then coming back up to get air and then going back down, blah, blah, blah. So, when he went snorkeling, he would wear a wetsuit so he could fish year-round because that's how much he liked it. And it is reported that when he got a fish, like when he speared a fish, he would take it off and put it in his wetsuit and continue fishing. Which, first of all, that sounds disgusting to me. You have a bleeding dead fish, like, touching your skin. Also, I feel like the scales would really hurt while you were swimming, but... I'm not going to judge his ways of spearfishing because I've never done it and I never will do it. It is also reported that he could tread water and hold his breath for a very long time. Apparently when he was in like meetings and stuff and there was a debate going on, he would just see how long he could hold his breath for fun. Because why not? Government sucks, so I mean I would probably do the same thing. But even despite these two things... He was not a great swimmer. Like, he could swim enough, but, like, he apparently wasn't, like, an overly great swimmer. Many people had confronted him about the dangers associated with his hobbies. Like, his friends and people he worked with and his family were like, you know, it's kind of dangerous to go spearfishing on your own. Like, Australia has rough waters sometimes, and you can get sucked out into the sea really quick. But he didn't seem to care. It was something he loved to do. And I kind of understand that. Like, you know the dangers, but if you like it enough, your life would feel incomplete without it. So you're going to take that risk. In May of 1967, Harold became distressed while in the water and had to be brought to land. During this time, he threw up a lot of seawater, but he stated it was because of a faulty snorkel and quoted, That's the closest I've ever been to drowning in my life. Which, that's kind of a dumb quote. I don't know. Like, yeah, it it is the closest you've ever been to drowning. 
I don't know. I just found it as like a dumb quote when I read it. But that was his closest experience with drowning, I guess. In August of 1967, he was chasing a large coral trout for, I believe, about 30 minutes, which seems way longer than my attention span. I don't even know how you guys listen to me talk for 30 minutes, so I could not imagine chasing a fish for 30 minutes. Needless to say, I would be very tired because I am not a swimmer, so that would suck. But eventually he gave up because he had severe shortness of breath. So he, like, stopped swimming and probably went back to shore, I'm guessing, if he had severe shortness of breath. Despite these two things, most of his life he seemed to have pretty good health. But in 1959, oh my goodness, 1955... Holt got a severe concussion from a car accident, and the person who was driving his car was actually killed. So that's a pretty severe car accident. And I know Tuesday I stated, like, I've had concussions, and they suck, but, like, it normally doesn't impede your life in the long run. For, like, a month, you're kind of just, like, laying there, like, you can't read, you can't be on electronics, you kind of just lay there and it's really boring but then you get back to normal in like a month or so and everything's good to go in september of 1967 he started treatment for a painful shoulder injury that happened in his youth i think it was because of football or baseball and he just he's had it for a long time and it was getting worse because he used his shoulder and he had painkillers because of this and he did physical therapy every week So, that's, like, the normal regimen for someone who has a bad injury. Only a few days before he died, he went to his main doctor, and they stated to avoid overexertion and that he should cut back on swimming and tennis and other activities like it, which are activities he did often because he was an outdoorsman and he loved to be sporty, and that kind of seems like how I view every Australian person. That just seems like who they are. Sorry if I'm being stereotypical, and sorry if anyone from Australia is listening, but that's how you guys are portrayed in movies and stuff. So when someone says Australia, I'm like, oh yeah, they're all fit playing volleyball on a beach somewhere. Anyways, on December 14th of 1967, Holt attended his final government meeting. Or he didn't know it was his final one, maybe, but it would turn out to be his final one. He ended up doing a lot of work in the days following. He did, like, writing letters and stuff with his secretary and, I don't know. He was also preparing for a Christmas party, but then he decided it was time to go on a little break. On December 17th, 1967, he played tennis, which if you can remember a minute ago, was against the order of his doctor, who said not to play tennis anymore, but he did it anyway. He hung out with his family for a while and then hosted a, like, cocktail party slash dinner party with important people, and those were the last events he would host and be at. On Sunday, December 17th, 1967, he woke up early again, From what I read, it seemed he was a very early riser, probably because he exercised and liked to do stuff. I don't know. I'm not an early riser, so I don't know what you people have as motivation to get up. 
Anyways, he talked to his wife in the morning and went about his early day activities. I think he got coffee or made breakfast, and I know he got a newspaper and all that stuff that you do in the morning. However, at 11.15 a.m., Holt went out with four others to see Alex Rose at Point Nepin. Nepin? He, Alex Rose was like a circumnavigator, so they were going to this point to like see him go past, I guess, but his boat was too far away, so shortly after they left because there was nothing else for them to do there. On the drive back, which was around 12.15 p.m., Holt decided the five of them would stop for a swim at Shervoy Beach. He knew this area well and had often swam there, so it wasn't like, oh, let's go to this new beach. No, this was a place he often went to, and he knew the area well. This day, there were visible currents and swells. A lot of people said the tide had been really high that day, like higher than they had ever seen it, but Holt was not scared of this. He jumped right in and swam around and floated around, and he was having a good time. Only one other person that was with the group swam, but he stayed in the shallows because he could feel the current, and it was very heavy. The other three that were with these two deemed it unsafe to swim, and they just decided to sit on the beach. At some point, Holt was swimming deeper out into the water, and then he began to be dragged out to sea. The people on the beach started calling to him, but he had no reaction of the others calling to him, and he did not seem like he was hurt at all or crying out for help. He was kind of just floating there or swimming. It was kind of unclear if he was floating or swimming at this time, but he wasn't like raising his arms or panicking or looking like he was drowning. He was just doing what he was doing the whole time he was swimming. Someone who was there described it like this, like a leaf being taken out so quick and final, because at some point he was out of sight, not sure if he like just went over the horizon where they could see, or the waves got too big, they couldn't see him anymore, or if he actually went under. That was unclear. Directly after this, one of the four that was with him drove to a nearby army training facility and the Victoria police were contacted immediately. This put into motion one of the largest searches in Australian history. I know I said that with the disappearance of like, I know we discussed an Australian case and it was a disappearance of some kids. Can't remember exactly who it was. Not sure if it was the Beaumont kids or not. I might be wrong. But in that one, it also said one of the biggest searches in Australian history. So I kind of just think Australia doesn't have as much crime as the U.S. And they don't have as many searches. Because here in the U.S. we have searches probably every day, honestly. It's a mess here. But this was one of the largest searches in Australian history. The search began at 1.30 p.m., which was only an hour and 15 minutes after... The group had got to the beach, so it couldn't have been that long after Holt, like, floated out and disappeared. The search consisted of watercrafts, helicopters, police divers, and quite a few Navy diving teams, and they went right in. The water still proved to be too rough to really make any headway, though. 
So by this time, over 190 people were involved, and that was only the end of the first day. The next day, searches started at 5 a.m. despite bad weather conditions yet again. The search was suspended at 8 a.m. due to the weather and didn't start again until the late afternoon. I read something about this day where the divers couldn't even bring in their oxygen tanks because of the current and the waves going against the rocks. So they kind of just had to free dive and see what they could see and then come back up, which seems like a nightmare for divers trying to find a body. Like, you can't find any evidence or anything if you're going down and then you have to come up a minute later. So then, nope. It wasn't until two days later, December 20th, that the weather cleared up, but a lot of people were done searching by then. It turned more into like a beach search where they looked at the beach, if there wasn't a body, okay. And there wasn't really any more water searches. Someone who was either involved with the search or was an expert on something like this, I can't remember, his name was Phil Hawk. He stated that any chance of finding the Prime Minister was lost by Sunday night. And I can only assume that is because of the conditions. And, like, if the Minister was alive for a little while after he disappeared, he was obviously killed by waves and water and treacherous water and all that. And then his body probably was completely unfindable by that night. Curiously, curiously to me, it didn't say anything like weird about it in the articles I read, but a former homicide detective was selected to lead the investigation. Now, I know it's a former homicide detective, but this wasn't a homicide. It was an accidental drowning at the time, and that just seemed really odd to me that they put a homicide detective on it. Let me know if that seems odd to anyone else. So, there was a resulting police report that came out on the 5th of January, 1968. There were no definite findings because there was, like, absolutely no evidence. They did say that it was ruled an accident, an accidental death by drowning. James McNamara, a pathologist, was consulted on what could have happened to Holt's body, and he stated it was probably stuck in kelp and consumed by sea creatures, which means it would have been a skeleton in 24 to 48 hours. So that brings Phil Hawke's statement back to life that all hope of finding the body was gone after Sunday night. However, apparently not everything was put in the released report. One witness stated that Harold had many cans of beer in his bag, and that was omitted from the report. So whether they thought it was just not helpful to the case, or they specifically took it out, is unknown, but it kind of seems odd they wouldn't just leave that in there if it was part of the case. In 2004, Holt's case was deemed suitable for inquest, despite never finding a body. And along with his case, I believe there were 81 other cases that were deemed suitable for inquest, even though they didn't find a body and it was like a drowning case. I don't know what came in the other 82 cases, 81 cases. I didn't have time to look that up, but 
if you're interested, go ahead. So this inquest opened in August of 2005, and it also concluded that there was nothing to be concerned or investigated. Holt simply took an unnecessary risk and drowned in rough water. But being the Prime Minister of Australia, and being that he disappeared, there was never a body found, means that a lot of people had speculation and conspiracy on his death. So one theory that a lot of people have had over the years, and that seems most plausible, is that Holt committed suicide, and that his death was not an accidental drowning. A lot of people state that Holt was depressed before he went missing, and a senior public servant who worked with him stated that Holt had been depressed for a period before his death. Apparently, Holt also thought his political career was at stake. He had... He, like, did make plans for the coming year, so that doesn't really line up with suicidal people. But, I mean, I don't think there is really one set way people who are suicidal behave. I think planning for the future is not something that can count it out, and I think it could have been a thing. That could explain his calm demeanor as he floated away from shore, because that's what he wanted. Maybe he saw the waters and he was like, yeah, it's a rough day. Um, I'll do it today. And when he started getting dragged away, he was okay with it, which is why he was so calm. That could also explain the beer cans in his bag. Maybe he had drank a little before doing it so that it would calm him down or he wouldn't panic. And Edward St. John stated that Holt's death Quote, appeared to be an act of a man who either wanted to die or didn't much care whether he lived or died, end quote. But his wife stated Holt was too selfish to commit suicide. Side note, his wife seems like kind of a bitch. So she, like, in every interview and stuff, she seems very callous. Like, she doesn't even care he died. And this statement, like, proves it even more. And I don't really understand why she was like that. I don't know. I think suicide is kind of a viable option here. I think it's either suicide or accidental drowning. But being a politician, people had other ideas too. One speculation included that Holt was killed by the CIA because he intended to pull Australia out of Vietnam. There was also the idea that Holt had been killed by the North Vietnamese after being incapacitated by, like, a nerve drug. And that's where the beer cans also came into play. Someone thought, like, maybe this drug was administered through a drink, and then he floated away, and the North Vietnamese grabbed him somehow. There's also the idea that he faked his death to be with a lover instead of his family. I mean, his wife did stay at that he was having an affair or multiple affairs at the time of his death. And the very last thing is the craziest to me, but it is a theory some people have. Some people think that Holt was a lifelong spy for China and then tried to fake his own death to get away from China, but then he was collected and dragged to a waiting submarine, despite the fact that submarines could not come that close to shore. I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, they could be plausible, but I don't think these crazy 
like theories are real or plausible in any way. So that is it for the disappearance of Harold Holt, who was the Australian Prime Minister in 1967 and 1966, but he disappeared in 1967. So I hope you enjoyed that one. Um, if you want to hear more, I will hear you back on Tuesday. I won't hear you back. I will see you back on Tuesday for another case. And follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved because I'm always sharing new unsolved cases on there.